So as you heard, we're in our second part, our week two part of our series, Real Relationships. And we all know this, regardless of the level of relationship, regardless of the type of relationship, spouses, kids, parents, whether you're talking your, your work relationships with bosses and employees, whether that's community, your neighbors, you name it, we all have these relationships. And in, in all of those relationships, we don't always agree. There's always some stress, there's always some tension, we don't always see eye to eye, there's things we disagree on. So the question is, well, how do we navigate our relationships when we don't always see eye to eye, when there's something that's come between us, when there's an argument, or us married people, we like to say, it's a discussion, which means you're fighting, but discussion sounds better, doesn't it? So to kind of help get in this frame of mind, there's something that we do, usually in relationships, it's our go-to when we have a problem, and uh, if you're on the front row, you might have noticed this. If not, we're going to pan. Oh, you already see them. There they are. I don't have shoes on, do I? Instead, you get to see my, uh, my Bigfoot socks that my kids got me for Christmas. So you need to know part of the Haas family routine on Saturday night is helping dad pick out what he's supposed to wear for church on Sunday morning. So the kids are part of this somewhat, and really it comes down to, Becky, what am I supposed to wear on a Sunday morning? And last night, we had a discussion which you know what that means, don't you? So here's part of our discussion, is Becky wanted me to wear what I call my dress shoes, which yes, are black Chuck Taylors. So she wanted me to wear my dress shoes, uh, which are my nicer shoes. She wanted me to wear those, but I have a pair of red Nikes that I think are amazing. These are comfortable, they are wonderful, they're the best thing ever, and I wanted to wear my red Nikes. And here's what tends to happen in relationships. What we tend to do is when there's this kind of crossroads, when there's a I want, but I want, well, I think, but I think, when there's that kind of a dynamic in a relationship, we do something that culture has told us is the best thing to do in a relationship. Anybody know the word? It starts with a C. Compromise. Oh, yes, relationships are all about compromising. If you want to make your marriage work, make sure that you compromise. Business deals only work if you compromise. Now, I'm not going to downplay compromise completely. I think there's great environments and situations for compromise. What you're going to do for dinner or lunch, what Netflix shows you're going to watch, those are great places to compromise. But what we do when we go to compromise first is we actually look pretty ridiculous, don't we? I mean, you would never walk around with two different shoes, but this is the epitome of compromise. We're saying, well, I want, but I want, and I'm going to refuse to let go of what I want, so we're going to compromise, and we are going to have two different shoes on all day, right? No one would do that. No one would think this is a win, like, oh, wow, you are so good in your marriage, Brian. You guys compromised and figured out what shoes you were going to wear. Wow, I'm so proud of you. No, you would look at that and say, you look absolutely ridiculous and for wearing two totally different colored shoes. No, but that's what we do with compromise. Compromise, in, a, in essence, you know, I'm using shoes to walk through this, but you basically are saying, I want and I think, and the other person says, I want and I think, and you refuse to let go of either one. Compromise is forcing two things together, and, and you're not together on it. There's no unity there. It's mine and mine, and we're going to try to just shove them together. It doesn't work. See, compromise is, is a shortcut. Compromise is almost finding that loophole. Well, how do I still get what I want, but it appears that everybody wins? Does this look like everybody wins? No. <laughs> right? We, we have the, the appearance or the facade of everybody wins with compromise, but in reality, we are too stubborn to let go of anything. See, compromise holds tightly to what I think and what I want. 
You might give a little bit, but you're more concerned about what I get or me winning. Compromise focuses on what I want and I want to win. It does not focus on the other person. It's more about what I get more than what I'm willing to give up. Compromise. Yes, there's some environments that, I, like I said, I'm not knocking all of compromising, but to build your relationship on compromising, for, for that to be your first go-to, ends up reaping some pretty devastating results. So I did what any smart husband, I've been married a little over 10 years now, so I did what any smart husband would do in this, and husbands, this might be your biggest takeaway today. I decided to not compromise, but to wear my dress black Chuck Taylors. And some of you are thinking, well, Brian, you just caved in and, and gave in to your wife. Absolutely I did. Everybody hear that? Becky, yes, I gave in 100%. Absolutely. No. And it feels like a loss. Well, man, I didn't get what I want. No, no, you're missing the point. Remember, compromise focuses on me and what I want and what I think and what I need. It's a very tight, closed-fisted idea of like, it's just about me and what I want and I want to win. There's another another way to walk through your relationships and any of those relationships, and it's having a little bit more of a loose grip. In fact, it's more of an open hand where it says, hey, you know what? It's not what I want. It's not even what you want. It's what do we think is best for us? What's best for the relationship? Those are two very, very different questions. Compromise focuses on what do I need? What do I want? How can I get what I want? Where there's another way that says what's best for us, what's best for the relationship. And it's not compromise. In fact, it's unity. Real relationships are built on unity, not on compromise. Yes, compromise has some places that it's useful for, but as building your relationship, building and growing and developing your relationship, real relationships are built on unity. In fact, Jesus spoke about unity. It was very, very important to him. We're going to look at this real quick. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for you. But out of John chapter 17, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and if you grew up in church, you know that scene. It's moments away before his, he's already been betrayed, but it's moments away before his arrest and eventual crucifixion. This is in that same prayer where Jesus was praying to God the Father saying, if there's any other way, if we can get out of this in any way, let's do it, but not my will, but your will. In that same prayer, look what Jesus prays. He prays for his disciples and then he prays this, John 17, verse 20. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone, talking about the disciples it says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. Those that will believe in Jesus through their message, through Peter, through John, through Paul, through them, we are now those believers. So Jesus is actually praying for you and for me. For all of us that call ourselves Christ followers, Christians, believers, whatever label you want to put on it, for all of us, Jesus, before he is arrested and crucified, prays for us. Now here's what he prays for us about. Verse 21. His prayer is that all of them may be, and what's this word here? May be what? One. Say it like you mean it, or at least that you can read. That they may be one. There it is. That they all may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus, moments before his arrest and crucifixion, prays that we would be, what was the word again? One that we would be together, that we would be united and unified, that that would be what our focus is on. Now, what's kind of cool is 2,000-some years later, here we are. 
And we've seen that. We've, we've seen the church. We've seen us as believers. Now, granted, we don't always agree. We don't always see eye to eye. We don't always even like each other. But he doesn't pray for that, does he? He doesn't say in my prayers that they would always get along or that they would like each other or that they would always agree. No, he says that they would be, what was it one more time? One. That they would be one that they would be united, that they would be together, that there wouldn't be this goal of compromise, but it would be the goal of unity because real relationships are built on unity. So we wanna ask two questions in regards to unity. If, that's, if we see that as important, the why that is important, we're gonna read that in a moment, but also how do we do that? If unity is the goal of building our real relationships, if we don't want just these ho-hum acquaintance relationships, but man, if we really wanna dig in and lean into our real relationships, then they have to be built with unity. Then the question becomes, how do we actually begin to do that? How do we keep it and how do we begin to build our unity? So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in Genesis chapter 11. We're gonna go way back. Genesis chapter 11, there's an interesting story that revolves around the idea of unity, but I'll give you a preface, I'll give you a little heads up. This is not a great example of unity. How's that for Sunday morning preaching? I'm going to give you some, some examples, but it's not a very good one. But there's going to be a couple parts in here that they do really, really well, and there's a couple things that they don't do well at all. We can learn from both. So look for the unity. Look for, more importantly, what they're building. That build is kind of our key word this morning. How do we build unity? Why is building unity so important? Now, what we're about to read in Genesis 11 is after knowing the ark, knowing the flood, that whole thing. And it's before Abraham, just before Abraham, if you know that story of Abraham starting uh, the, the nation of Israel, basically. It's before that. So we're in this kind of in-between time where all of these people are gathering together and look at what begins to happen. Again, thinking of building unity. Genesis 11, verse 1. Now the whole world had, here we see that word again, that one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now hold up there just for a second so you know what's going on. You've got a group of people that are all gathering together, right? That oneness, that togetherness, they're unified with a common language and common speech and they come up with a common idea. They come up with that common purpose. Let's do something together. Let's work together to do something great. Now that's where they start to make their first mistake is notice what they do. They said, let's get together and let's make a name for ourselves. Let's build a tower, a city that everybody knows and associates it with us. So they make it about them instead of God. But don't miss the fact that they are united, that they are together, and the power that comes with that togetherness. Look what happens next. God actually starts to take notice of what's happening. It says here, verse 5, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that they were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this. Notice this. Let this sink in. Then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. That's interesting. That God, the creator of the universe, takes notice that they are unified that they are doing something together as one. And then he makes this statement, God admits that because of their unity, because they are together, because of their oneness, because that they are unified, nothing they plan would be impossible. Even if it's unity in the wrong things. See, unity works for both. 
right? It works for good, it works for evil, it works for right, it works for wrong. But God admits and recognizes that the power of unity is great. I want you to begin to think through a relationship that you have, again, whether it's marriage, whether it's kids, parenting, whether it's extended family, whether it is co-working environments, whether it's neighborhood and community, whatever a relationship is that's right now pretty tense, that it's pretty stressful, like it's, it's not going well. Don't look at the person sitting next to you, just keep looking at me so you don't give it away. <laughs> whatever that relationship is, I want you to get that one in your head. Because most likely what you're beginning to think is or have already thought is, there's no way this is going to work out. I don't see how this could ever make it. I don't see light at the end of the, end of the tunnel at, in this relationship. But understand, if there is unity, God is saying, regardless of what you're unified in, that nothing that you plan would be impossible. In other words, if you build unity in your relationships, you'll make it through. If you build unity in your relationships, you'll make it through. Now, as we're going to see, you have to have the right thing. You have to build the right unity towards the right things because look what happens next. So God says, man, it's incredible what you guys are doing together. The unity that you have is amazing. Wrong, but amazing because remember, they were all about making a name for themselves, not making a name for God. So here's what God says, verse 7. So come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. So the unity was great, but they were focused on the wrong things, right? Now, don't miss this part. God recognized how powerful unity is, and I mean, he created it. He recognizes and admits and tells us, gives us insight into how powerful unity is. But then he also says, if it's not honoring me, it's not going to last. See, God actually destroyed their unity, Right? He destroyed their unity because it was not honoring God. He destroyed their unity. He broke them apart. He scattered them because they were honoring themselves, not him. Remember what their goal was? Come, let's make a city and a tower that reaches to the heavens. Remember the so that or here's why? So we make a name for ourselves. They had nothing to do with God. They were not honoring God's name. They were not making God's name great. They were all about their name. And God says, no, that's not going to work. So God destroyed their unity because it was not honoring God. Now check this part out. He did that by doing one simple thing, didn't he? What did he do? What did he take away from them? Their one language. Regardless of what relationships you're beginning to filter this through and apply this to, communication is vital. When you take away communication, it will destroy unity. God destroyed their unity by taking away their ability to communicate. So whatever that stressful relationship is that you're not seeing eye to eye and you can't agree on red shoes or black shoes, whatever relationship that is for you, don't take a step back from communica communication. You've got to lean in. And we're going to talk about how to build unity through that with the right communication, but you've got to hold on to it. But is it honoring God? And are you still in a place where you're able to communicate? We want to build something that lasts. And because of their unity focused on the wrong things, God destroyed it and they got scattered and it says they stopped building the city and the tower. If you're like me, you want to build some kind of a relationship that lasts. You want a marriage that lasts. You want to have kids where your relationship, it lasts even when they're out of the house. You want to have a co-working environment that's healthy, a culture that's healthy, that lasts and attracts other people to work there because of the culture that you have. You want a tight community in a neighborhood that lasts because of unity. It's not about avoiding problems. We know there's going to be problems. We can't avoid it. 
Well, what do we do so that we can make it through it? In 1992, I'm sure you're aware of this, and many of you, I'm sure, remember it, Hurricane Andrew just wreaked havoc on South Florida, Miami area. I mean, completely decimated and devastated South Florida. I mean, it looked like a bomb went off. And of course, after such a destructive force of nature like Hurricane Andrew in 92, the officials, after the fact, started figuring out what could we have done differently so we can change it for next time. Because we know there's going to be another hurricane. We know there's going to be another storm. But we can't allow this to continue. We can't allow this kind of devastation to hit us time and time again. So let's fix the problem. So they started digging into The officials of southern Florida dug in, and they found two things. The first thing they found was not all, but many of the homes built in south Florida were not up to code. For example, they found a lot of houses, instead of using nails to put the lumber together, they found staples putting the lumber together. Now, I am not a, a contractor, construction worker, GC, or anything along those lines, but I would imagine a house put together with staples is not as good as a house built with nails. Agreed? Yes. <laughs> Especially when that's hurricane territory. right? So they found a lot of those instances where these homes were built underneath what they would call the standard, below standard or below code. But even when they started looking at the building codes, they recognized even if these were built to code, the codes are still not good enough. So there was this massive reform throughout the state of Florida where they changed all the building codes, all of them. Not just, ooh, we need to make sure that everybody's hitting the standard. They, they blew the standard up. So we're going to make sure that when, not if, but when another hurricane comes through our state, we're going to make sure that we're built to last through it. Right? That's what we want, right? So you can't compromise in your relationships or else you end up getting a house built with staples instead of nails. You get shortcuts, right? You cut corners. And so if we're going to have a family that lasts, a marriage that lasts, kids and parent relationships that last, co-working environments that last, if all of those things we want to have a legacy and we want to last, again, we can't avoid the problems, difficulties, trials, stresses, and tensions in relationships, but we certainly can build them so that they will last. And Florida is building homes after 92 that doesn't avoid a hurricane, but they most certainly are building them so that they have a better chance of making it through and lasting. That's what we want to build, real relationships built on unity so that they begin to last. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at what God's word says about building unity and having our relationships built to code. Instead of compromising, how do we build them to code? There's three of them if you want to write these down. Here's the, here's the first one. Build unity... With humility, with humility. Build unity with humility. Now let me help you understand what humility really means, because I think a lot of times we have a false definition or a false understanding of humility. Humility is not thinking, oh, I'm just a terrible person. Oh, I'm not good at anything. It's not thinking less of yourself. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's actually just thinking of yourself less. Think of a teeter-totter. It's the best way to understand humility. You lower yourself so somebody else can be elevated. You intentionally don't think about yourself as much so somebody else can, can be seen more. It's moving the spotlight from you to someone else. That's humility. Biblical humility, humility is valuing somebody above yourself. Paul even writes that. He explains that to us in Philippians chapter 2. It says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, or instead, look at this, in humility, value others above yourself. There's the teeter-totter, right? You, you lower yourself, you value someone above you, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Because we all have interests, interest, right? We all have preferences, red shoes and black shoes, 
What do we do? How do we navigate through that if unity is the goal? Well, we lower ourselves, we put our preferences on the back burner, and we allow somebody else's interests to be valued above our own. Here's how this can look. Here's kind of a filter for you to kind of think through. Paul also gives us what we call the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to put them up here, take a picture, write these down, because I want you to think about them a little bit differently in the sense of it's not just being loving and being joyful. These are really almost a checklist for humility. We're going to go through each of them and see, am I being humble? Do I have humility in my relationships based on these nine? You got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Each one of those is its own checklist for humility in a relationship. For example, love. The love that Paul's talking about here is a love of God which is unconditional. Do you have unconditional love for the people around you? Or is it contractual? In other words, I will love you if you first do this. I will love you when you first do this. Is it unconditional or is it contractual? Joy. That doesn't mean you just keep a smile on your face when everything's terrible. <laughs> People see right through that. Joy is not about fake happiness. Joy is about the positive outlook of, okay, what is going to come good of this? How am I going to make it through this? And you can have tears with joy. You can have smiles with joy. You can laugh and cry with joy because it's about an outlook. Joy is more of a perspective than a feeling. Very, very different from happiness. So in your relationships, joy is saying, am I positive in this? Or am, am I just, oh, and every situation is the end of the world? Joy, are you positive in your relationships? Peace, oh, peace. Now, we think this is the other person's problem, don't we? Well, I would have peace in my relationship if they would only. No, it doesn't work that way. No, we're peacemakers. Jesus tells us to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, which means, you ready for this? This is a hard word, submitting. Right, you want to have peace, you submit. You say, I won't wear the red shoes, I will wear the black shoes, and you do that with a smile. Why? Because I want peace in my marriage, so I do what I'm told. There's, there's some truth to that. It's funny, but it's like, no, it's true. There's some reality to that where you're willing to yield. You're willing to submit. You're willing to say, no, no, remember humility? You go first. You go first. You want peace. You have to be willing to submit and yield at times. Patience. That means it's on the other person's time frame. It's not on yours. So often we get frustrated because, well, I want it when I want it. And patience takes, takes a step back and lets the other person dictate the time. Kindness. There's two ways to look at kindness. The first part is don't be a jerk. And I hope that's just common sense. Don't be mean. Don't be a jerk. But there's another level of kindness that says, am I being helpful? Do I go out of my way? Am I looking for ways to help without being asked? That's the real root of kindness which leads into humility. Goodness, here's what goodness means. Thinking, doing, and, and constantly leaning towards things that are right. Doing the right thing, thinking the right thing, doing them the right way. You've heard the phrase, it's not what you say, but finish it for me. That's right, it's, it's how you say it, right? It's not about just the what, it's a, the how. Goodness is the how. It's how you treat people. It's the respect, right? It's that demeanor you walk into your relationships with. Faithfulness. Don't think just husband-wife faithfulness here. It's the loyalty. It's the commitment. It's the dedication. It's let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's you do what you say. You're honest. You're faithful in that relationship. Gentleness. It's the tenderness. It's the calmness. It's we're going to talk about self-control, but it's you are in control of your emotions, not the other way around. You're gentle in how you say things. It leans into the respectful nature again. And self-control. Here it is with self-control. Sacrifice. It's not what I want. 
It's what's best for us. It's what's best for the other person. Self-control requires self-denial, requires sacrifice. So that's a, a quick little checklist of am I inviting humility into my relationships? And am I building unity with humility? We'll go through those nine and you'll know pretty quick of give yourself a C minus. Not bad, right? It gives you a chance to start to see where to grow in humility if unity is the goal in our relationships. Here's the second one. So build with humility. Also build unity with shared struggles. Shared struggles. James talks a lot about how we are to deal with the difficulties of life. I won't read through the whole thing, but look at it this week. James chapter 1. He starts out in verse 2, consider it pure joy. There it is. Joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Again, joy is not the feeling. Joy says, no, there's the positive outlook. We can get through this. So you share those struggles together. And you say, what good could come out of this? How is this going to grow us together? We know that, right? Struggles can do one of two things. It either pulls you apart or it pulls you together. That's why the shared struggles is so important. So often we tend to get in a struggle mindset and we point to the other person. You're the problem. <laughs> or it's my problem and you can't do anything about it. We isolate ourselves in the midst of struggles and stress and tensions and problems and difficulties. Instead of saying, no, no, no. I have people around me. God has given me real relationships around me to share these struggles with me. Another way to say that in Bible talk is bear one another's burdens, which we're told to. We walk that through together united as one share struggles because what james continues to say is here consider pure joy when you face all these difficulties and struggles why because it's going to grow you he goes through the list he says well you'll get endurance you'll get perseverance he even goes on to say you'll be mature and complete oh now that sounds like a relationship we want a relationship that is defined and described with endurance perseverance completeness, maturity, that's the kind of relationship we want. If we want that kind of a relationship, we have to be okay embracing the struggles, not just embrace them, but bring other people in with us. Because understand, don't miss this, your struggles, your problems that you think are just your problems, they're not just your problems. When you're having financial problems, guess what? It impacts your family. When you're having problems with anxiety, it impacts the people around you. Your problems, like it or not, do radiate out and impact the people around you. So instead of trying to cover it up or hide it or isolate and push people away, bring people around you and say, no, no, this is real in my life. Will you walk with me through it? Shared struggles will build unity because you walk it through together the way Jesus intended us to. So build unity with, what was the first one? Build unity with humility. You've got a good checklist through the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Go through those. Build with humility. Build unity with shared struggles. And here's the last one. Build unity with purpose. And this is where the folks in Genesis 11 got it all wrong. Go back to what they did right. What did they do right? They did it all together. They worked together. They were one. They were united. They were together. But what did they do wrong? They wanted to make a name for themselves. Again, this goes back to the question, is God being honored in your relationships? Are you focused on the right thing? It's not good enough. It's not enough to just be focused on a purpose or the same thing. Is it the right thing? Will God be able to bless it because he's honored in it? Now, let me kind of show you how this actually plays out and how to begin to walk through this. I've got a couple that's going to come up and help me. Everybody get over. Patrick and Sherry, they're going to help me out here for a second. Come on up. Come on up. It's very intimidating to walk up here when you don't know what I'm going to do, isn't it? Yeah, all right, so here we go. Patrick, come over here. I'm going to have you stand right over here. 
And then, well, I should ask this first. Um, do you guys love each other? So consider this marriage counseling for free, all right? You said, yeah, and you're like, mm-hmm. Yeah, wives, what does mm-hmm mean? Yeah, we all know what that means. So, okay, so because of that, I'm going to make sure you're, you're pretty separate. Let's see, you're going to come, come right over here. Okay, right there, right there. All right, so we have Patrick and Sherry, and they do love each other, um, but there's obvious, we won't go into details, but it sounds like there's a lot of tension. Just life at home seems really difficult, right? You don't have to answer, just look straight ahead, there you go. You don't have to admit anything on stage and on camera. But there's a space between us, right? And in any relationship, just, not just husband, wife, I mean, put yourself in this. You and who? You and someone else. When there becomes this chasm and this space between us, we don't know how to interact with each other because we feel so far apart. And what we feel like we should do to fix the problem is this. You face each other, face each other, and then what tends to happen is you just start making demands. Well, then you take care of this, and no, you fix this. No, no, you take a step. You want to be unified and come together? Well, then you take the first step. Let me see you put some work into this thing, and then I'll consider, right? You clean your side of the sink, and then we'll talk. Talking from personal experience. (laughs) Sorry, just had to get that one out. Right? That's what tends to happen. You start going back and forth and nobody budges because you need to make the first goal. This facing each other thing to build unity does not work. So do me a favor. Face me. Turn around. Face me. And here's what does work. When we talk about common purpose, building unity with purpose, you focus on something that has nothing to do with each other. You don't have to figure it out. You just look at something else. You have to agree on this something else. You're going to go in two different directions. But let's assume you agree on the same thing. We're going to focus on the same thing. We're going to pay attention to the same thing. We're going to tie our relationship around the same thing, regardless of the space between us, and that divides us. And then I want you to do this. You're not going to take a step towards each other. I want you to take one step towards me, just one step towards me. Man, that was amazing. Nobody fought, and it started to work. But you still don't have to talk. You don't have to figure out. You don't have to fix anything. Take another step towards me. One more step towards me. Without falling off the stage, one more step towards me. Oh, do you see what happened? Stay right there. Don't move. Don't. Aww. That's cute. Kind of weird, but cute. Right. <laughs> Stay right there. Stay right there. Did you see what happened? They started with a lot of space in between. And nowhere in there, not even once, did they have to have this conversation. Well, we really need to agree on on this, or, or we really need to fix this, or you need to stop, or you need to start. They agreed on one thing. They had one common purpose, one thing. And all they focused on was an individual taking one step towards that, and another step, and another step. And before you know it, God brought both of them together. Great job. You guys did wonderful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Appreciate it. Instead of worrying about the other person in the relationship, you should or wants you or you go first. If your purpose in that relationship, which it should be, is Jesus, then you worry about taking one step closer to Jesus. And you let the other person take, worry about taking one step closer to Jesus. And if the both of you, whatever relationship this is, if you will both focus your purpose and your intentionality and your energy on Jesus you will see him bring you together. It's where the people in the Tower of Babel got it wrong. They had a common purpose, but it led to their destruction. So yes, you have to do all these things the right way with humility, and you share your struggles together, but that purpose that you have to have, it must be Jesus. And if you allow Jesus to be the center of your relationships, all of your relationships, 
and you commit to taking steps towards Jesus with humility, with bearing one another's burdens and sharing the struggles together, you will see God bring you two together. You will see unity built. Make no mistake, it, it's, it's intentional. That doesn't accidentally happen. Right? It, it's not an accident. It doesn't just naturally happen. Unity must be built. It must be developed. It must be cultivated. It must be created through humility, sharing your struggles, and of course, most importantly, a purpose that's only found in Jesus. If you can focus there and you begin to move one step at a time, you will see unity over time be built. But the tendency, like what we start with when they were looking at each other, we wanted to start with the other person. Well, you go first. No, no, no. Let me turn it around. Unity starts with you. It must start with you. You go first. You make the first step. You lead in unity. If you were here last week, this is going to be familiar. If not, please let me catch you up. Um, this is where you start in that. Here's not, we had the checklist for humility, but this is how we actually put this to action. This is where we actually begin. It's all the one another's. Right, And if you didn't get one of these uh, last week, if you weren't here, I've got extras for you, so pick one of these up on your way out. If you've got one, maybe you've got a new name to write in there. Maybe you need to lean in more. Let me go through these with you. Here's how we begin to take steps with unity and building unity, with humility, with sharing our struggles, and most importantly, with Jesus as our common purpose. A new command, I give you love, and what we've done is we took all the one another's out, and you start filling in names. So who do you need to love? Like Jesus loved us, who do we need to love? Be at peace with who? Be devoted to. Honor who? Above yourselves. Another great example or visual of humility, valuing somebody above yourself. Live in harmony with. Stop passing judgment on. Encourage. And instead of a one another there, you begin to put people's names in. Serve. Bear with. Be patient with. Be kind and compassionate to. Submit to. Forgive, spur, who needs to be spurred on by you? Who do you need to encourage? Don't grumble against who? Pray for who? Let me stop there for a second, that's a big deal. You talk about building unity. I am convinced that with humility, sharing your struggles and having that common purpose, as far as things that we can continually do, praying is probably the most important thing with building unity. One of the most important things. And it's not, let me help you understand, it is not, Lord Jesus, please fix my husband. That's not going to help. It, it's very true, but it's not going to help, <laughs> right? It's not praying that you, Lord Jesus, would take the demons out of my wife. That's not going to help. It's not going to do anything. Got it? So husbands, just don't even try to pray that one. You've been praying it, haven't you? And it hasn't worked. I told you. No, we pray for them. Go back to humility. We pray for what's best for them, what's best for the relationship. Let me give you a challenge, right? And I would say do this in any relationship, but let me lean into to my married couples for a second. Here's what I want you to do. Today's Sunday, next Sunday, that's seven days away. Here's the challenge I want you to lean into. If you really want unity with your spouse, every day for the next seven days, I want you and your spouse to pray with each other. Not just for each other, right? That's important. I want you to pray with each other. And, and I'm telling you, even as your pastor, that's difficult to do because it's like, what are we going to pray about? <laughs> I don't care what you pray about. <laughs> I want you to pray with each other over something. Maybe you've got some decisions coming up. Pray about that together in the same room, right next to each other, out loud. Maybe you're having struggles. 
Maybe it's finances, maybe it's parenting, or maybe it's problems at work. I don't know what the problem is, but call it out. Share your struggles together and let's pray together. If you can't think of one thing to pray about with each other, then pray this prayer. God, help us to build unity. There, one quick sentence. If you don't know what else to pray for, these don't have to be long, drawn-out prayers like you read about in the book of Psalms. One sentence. If you can't think of anything else, one sentence. Every day for the next seven days, you and your spouse together, if you guys travel, get on the phone. God, help us build unity. Pray together for the next seven days, every day, and see yourself come together. I'm not saying everything's going to be solved in a week, but I'm saying it's going to be some good steps. Pray together every day for the next seven days. The last one, offer hospitality to. Fill in names. Fill in names. Scripture tells us these are all the one another's, but put an actual one another's name in it. And that's how we go first in building unity. We build unity with humility. We build unity by sharing our struggles and growing together, becoming more mature and complete, as James says. But don't miss it. Most important thing, it's where the Tower of Babel got it wrong, the right common purpose. So Genesis 11 is a is not quite a good example, right? <laughs> they have unity, and, and God says, man, because of their unity, nothing will be impossible for them. But it's still not a great example. So let me end with a great example of unity. Acts chapter 2, we get the beginnings of the early church. And listen for the unity here. Acts 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now look what God did. They built unity. Look what God did. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, that's a great example of unity. Because a couple thousand years later, we're still here. Unlike the Tower of Babel people that were scattered, divided, never finished building what they set out to build because the purpose was wrong. As long as our purpose stays true and we build with humility and sharing our struggles together, we will see God do something we couldn't. My favorite part in this whole thing is the second part of it. Verse 43 says, everyone was filled with awe. That... That relationship that you've been thinking of, the tense, the, the difficult relationship where there's a problem, it's not working out really well, you're not even sure if it's going to work out at all. What would it look like to have awe in that relationship? What would it look like for you to just say, wow, I, I can't believe that just happened. I'm just amazed at what God could do. They were filled with awe because they're building unity, but because God showed up and did something they couldn't imagine. Build unity in your relationships and let God do something that makes your jaw drop. You couldn't fathom. Never could have imagined. You didn't even know how to pray for it. What would it look like to have awe in your marriage with your kids, going to work, in your community, in every aspect of our, of our relationships, every level of our relationships? What could all look like with them? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for what you do for us in our relationships. That we know because of what you've said and how many times you've said it, the importance of unity with, with us and you, like our hearts unified with you. 
but also with those people around us, the people that you have placed in our lives for a reason and a purpose. God, may we not neglect the people around us. Instead, may we go first in building unity. God, put it on our hearts to live out the one another's, to go through the humility checklist that Paul gives us in Galatians 5. God, there's a hundred reasons of why we would not take the first step, but you modeled the way. You gave us the example because you first loved us, now we love others. So God, help us to build unity in our relationships and make them deeper and more meaningful because that's what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.